We're happy Good to evening. be here this evening. Good evening, everyone. We're glad that you've come out. We're glad that you're here to hear how people are sharing Christ and different ministry opportunities that we have. So we have three people that are going to share this evening. We're glad that you've joined us, each of you. Thank you very much. We have Johnny, we have Jesse, and we have Jim Burr as well with us. So thank you so much for being here this evening. And uh, we'd like to get right into it and talk to Johnny Suarez a little bit about Panda Vida. So could you tell us a little bit about what the ministry is all about? Sure. Um, I've been a member of ASI for 11 years, 2008. This is the first time I share a little bit about what we do. Uh, we started a little group called GYC. Some of you may be acquainted with that in 2002. And that's kind of how I became familiarized with, uh, with ASI. And we started a multimedia company called okay. Panda Vida Productions where we would license material from a variety of Adventist speakers, Pastor David Ashrick, uh, Henry Wright, and also Alejandro Bullon. And that's how we began producing multimedia materials and audio and video and print. And then from there we started doing some distribution elsewhere. Wonderful. So were you connected with ASI right in the very beginning of your ministry when you started? Not initially. It wasn't until 2008 that we started seeing the possibilities of networking with other organizations that were doing similar things. We thought, well, let's go ahead and join them and figure out how we can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ through multimedia. And that's kind of how we began. Wonderful. Okay, so you made a connection with ASI and GYC as well um, in kind of even helping to start that organization. That's right. So tell us a little bit, because my understanding is that people seem to be reading a little bit less. There may be also, there's so many media choices out there today that it's sometimes hard for people to know how to what to choose how did you find your niche yeah so it's very interesting you know people are reading a lot less like you said you have Hulu you have Netflix you have you know YouTube so we thought to ourselves well, what can we do to perhaps stay along the same line of what we're already doing but maybe make it different differently and so the idea was why don't we take them to the very places that the preachers talk about so maybe we can go over to Rome if we talk about the Romans maybe we can go over to the area of the Waldensians so we decided to create these faith-based excursions and tours and travel and we thought to ourselves how nice would it be for example we go to Rome and we go to the catacombs and we'll also visit the Mamertine prison so we'll go down into the dungeon cell and we'll imagine what it would have been like for Paul to have his hands tied his feet shackled the stench of human waste all around him, and a Roman guard standing at attention, waiting for the call to take him out and cut off his head. And yet he's writing to the people in Ephesus, and he says things like, we are seated in heavenly places with God. How can a man say that he's seated in heavenly places with God when he's about to lose his head? Well, he had hope in something bigger and better and bolder and more beautiful that God had in store with him. So taking people to the sites makes them re-experience those things in a way that perhaps they've never done before. So that's very interesting. So at the beginning you were kind of saying that you're doing productions here, but now you're mentioning the fact that you're actually bringing people to these sites. So how did that all come about and, and what are you, how does that actually play into your ministry now? That's a great question. So many of the people that come with us are not Seventh-day Adventist Christians, okay. right? So we have some people that are coming that are Baptists, that are Methodists. Um, a couple of months ago, we, we have a registration form and we received the registration form for two people that wanted to go on our tours and they put in their atheist and then the spouse said Buddhist. And we thought to ourselves, what? This is really strange. Normally people spend money trying to have evangelistic crusades and paying thousands of dollars to try to bring people to church. But here are two people who are giving us the funds 
for two weeks for us to preach them the gospel and tell them about <laughs> Jesus Christ. We thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity to tell people about the story of Christianity in a winsome way. And this is because friends, families, and even mm -hmm. neighbors, we've yeah. met Seventh-day Adventists who bring their neighbors who are not Christians and say, mm -hmm. I don't want to go to your church, I don't want Bible studies, but I would love to go to Europe and I'll go with you because you seem like a nice guy. And there's an opportunity for soul winning, for evangelism, and for sharing the gospel. Absolutely, and when people invest in something, they value what they've invested in as well, so that makes an impact on them spiritually. That's wonderful. Absolutely. What about um, millennials? We've heard um, that millennials actually are more interested in the experiences that they can have rather than maybe being so interested in material things. Tell us a little bit more about that phenomenon and how your ministry reaches out to that need? Great question. So there's this thing some of you may have heard. It's called uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. And they're finding all this interesting statistics where young people are more interested in experiences than actual material goods. And that seems a little strange and counterintuitive to what we think uh, millennials want. But we're finding that it is better for them and they're happier when they go to the places that you talk about as opposed to just giving them material possessions. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we're doing at Ponte Vida is we're creating uh, tours and excursions for people to go, particularly our young people, to become familiarized and acquainted with the truth of the Bible. On all of our tours, we use the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, the first 12 chapters of the book, Great Controversy, for them to visit those sites and now be able to forge an identity with who they are as Seventh-day Adventist Christians and who they are as Bible-believing followers of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. Wonderful. So how can people get involved in helping your ministry or in collaborating with your ministry? So there's a few uh, things you can do. Number one, you can swing by our booth. We're in booth 735. So if you're over there by the booth area, please feel free to swing by. Uh, number two, you can pray for us. Keep us in your, in your prayers. Number three, uh, we have many adults, some that are a little bit better off financially, who sponsor young people. We're offering uh, matching funds from Ponte Vida to keep those costs at a very reasonable amount. And they can invite those friends and particularly those young people, those millennials, that perhaps otherwise wouldn't go to be able to join us on the trips. We invite you to come. We're in booth 735. And we hope that you can be a part of that as well. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for Thank sharing. You. We appreciate you being here with us this evening. So I am very excited that you're here, Jimber, because I actually went to school with your son back in Oklahoma Academy a long time ago. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and so it's nice to be with you here on the stage and to be able to share it's some of the here. ways that you've reached out. And um, I think what's really exciting about meeting with you and discussing with you is how you look for all kinds of different ways to share the gospel, share science, from a creation perspective with people that you meet. Yes, I try to pray when, before I get on an airplane. Lord, is there somebody here you want me to visit with? I was traveling to Atlanta. That's three hours. And the lady next to me is a doctor. And uh, I've got my telescope, my computer out with astronomy pictures. And people will pick up on that. And she starts commenting or questioning on what's this about. And I started sharing little tidbits of God and the heavens with her. And then mm -hmm. she says, you know, I haven't been a good mother. I did not teach my two sons about God. And I said to her, well, you know what? I've got this little Bible study from UP, United Prison Ministries. There are 15, there's 25 Bible lessons you can teach your sons here. And I gave her a video on Daniel 2, and I gave her four programs on astronomy, half-hour programs. This lady said, I think God wanted me to sit next to you on the plane. Mm. That's thrilling. Yes. Well, then I took my car in for service at the Grease Monkey. 
man to get oil changed. And, and he comes by, he gives me the keys, your car's ready to go, but I like your reading material. So <laughs> Where folks, did he find your reading material? Well, I had reading, so when you take your car for service, lead some reading material there. There you go. God may do something <laughs> with that. That has touched, we can count 200 lives that's touched. Wow. I said to the Greeks, if, you, if that's the case, I've got two videos that'll go along with what you were reading there. So I take him to, my office is just is a half a mile away, I take him two videos. Every time I go, I take him a video. My wife takes him a video. And after about 10 videos, he says, I have watched everything you've given me. There's nothing on television, but let me tell you, you gave me a picture on, da a video on Daniel 2 and Hitler. He says, I gave that to an atheist friend. He has watched it over and over and over again. I said, if that's the case, I got two more videos. He has got to see David Asterix, Pascal, uh, Pascal's Wager and What Wondrous Love. Today, the Grease Monkey Man, if you visit his score, he has on his reading rack these Bible study guides. That take me home, it says on the front. The pastor's so, on the back. leaving them in your car was contagious. Now he's doing the same thing. He's having them in his shop, and people can pick them up as they come and visit and get their car service. This story has been this is almost two years old. This year, I said, I'm going to count how many. I don't have no idea. Lord only knows how many he gave away. This year, he's already given him 90 of these this week. And the pastor's on the back. You can... You need a prayer from the pastor. You need an answer to the pastor. And so that's, that's just exciting Wonderful. stuff. Wonderful. Why don't you tell us about when you had the opportunity to be the keynote speaker of ASI over in Russia and tell us about an experience you well, had about, on the plane about there. A year, about a year and a half ago, I was speaking as a keynote speaker at ASI. We did 10 one-hour shows at ASI Russia. Three of was there and recorded it, broadcast. They said 300 million Russians can watch that. Well, coming home from Russia, I'm on a plane. Now, the Lord, the, the Lord, you know, I mean, Delta tells who you're going to sit by, but I think the Lord overrules. <laughs> he overrules. <laughs> it turns out I'm sitting by this high-fashion model. Okay, she's like, hi. <laughs> Before we even get, move, barely get our seatbelts on, she says, how old are you? And I go like, in perfect English, how old are you? I said, I'm 80 years old. She goes like, what are you doing in Russia? I said, well, I'm here talking about astronomy and the Bible. The next word's out of your mouth. She says, is this world going to last 50 years? And we start going through last day events. We go through Matthew 24. And I, I give her the Bible study guide. I give her a, uh, the DVD on astronomy. And I have this video on Hitler and Daniel too. And I, and I explained to her that this, was, this happened in Hitler's army with this pastor, Hazel. And... She's oh, us Russians. We just love we just love learning about Hitler. I want to give you a kiss, and she smacked a kiss on my cheek, just that fast. Now imagine an 80-year-old guy getting a kiss on an airplane. You know, she was so excited to get this video. <laughs> And she says, I don't think your wife's going to be jealous. Well, you know, that, that's an, a fascinating story for sure. And there was another one that really fascinated me, and that's when you had the opportunity to explain to a science teacher about a cell and how much information God has packed into the cell. Tell us a little bit oh. about that. So I'm coming out of SeaTac, Seattle, Tacoma, and I've got my computer out, and the guy next to me goes like, oh, you're doing a seminar. What's the seminar on? I says, well, astronomy and the Bible. He goes like, how do you put astronomy, the Bible with astronomy? <laughs> yeah. And I say, well, are you believing God? And he goes like, uh, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, let me show you. The farthest galaxy, can you comprehend that 13 billion light years away? Can you comprehend that? Mm. Because the Bible mm. in Psalm 103, starting verse 10, says that as high as the heavens are, but that's how great God's mercy is. You cannot comprehend how great God's mercy is. And we mm. do an hour, this is a three-hour flight. We do an hour and a half on astronomy. And then I said, let me teach you biology. For, I mean, he teaches this stuff from a okay. biblical perspective. Right. And I have the pen, this pencil with a pin on it. This is a stick pin on top, the head of the pin. 
I said, you realize when you were conceived, you could fit on the head of that pin. And you realize that that little cell can copy your DNA. We have in your DNA, we have six billion letter codes at a keyboard 50 years. At a keyboard, for you to type out the information in every cell is a whole lifetime. But this cell can do it in 30 hours. You see God in that? And will you be making mistakes? You know, yes. Well, your cell does too because we live in a polluted world because of free radical carcinogenic. Mm -hmm. You didn't sleep good. You didn't get enough exercise. Didn't have water. Uh, for those reasons, your cell will make up to a million mistakes, about a hundred thousand to a million mistakes. But you got a proofreader. There's a just like your computer. You put in a wrong letter, it fixes it. The proof, it's there and it's gone. It's there and it's gone. And you forget to put a comma in it. You see it and it's gone, right? You got the same thing in your DNA. Wow. Absolutely the same thing. And you have 50 genes that are there to fix the problem. 50 genes. And so I said to the guy, you realize that we got 30 hours, but three things have to happen. The cell has to copy your DNA. The spell checker has to go through millions of pages to find any mistakes. The army comes in to fix it. When they get done, one in a billion get through. And so on this cell, in 30 hours, we have to copy it. We have to find the problem. We have to fix the problem. And it took your scientists 13 years with 5,000 supercomputers to sequence the human genome. It took thousands of scientists 13 years with 5,000 supercomputers. And this guy was like so blown away. He, got, he knew this stuff. He teaches this stuff. And he goes like, man, I never thought about that. I yes, amazing. That. You know, you had a very interesting visit recently. I'd like you to just close with this because, you know, we all, all of our children went to the Ark Encounter today. And I, they had a wonderful time. The biggest wood structure in the world. And you have the opportunity of meeting with the founder, the, the one that had this idea, Ken Ham. Ken Ham. Tell us a little bit about that. Yesterday at 9 o'clock, I had an appointment with Ken Ham. The, two of his staff people have been calling my office saying, we're interested in the starlight work you've done on starlight and time. And Dennis, Denny Faulkner, the chief astronomer at Answers in Genesis, called me up. He said, I knew about JMI Telescope for decades. I didn't know you were a creationist. I said, not only that, I'm going to be there Wednesday. Well, I want to give you a tour. You text me when you get to the gate. I want to take you in and give you a free tour of the museum. And I said, text back, can I meet with, Dan, with uh, Ken Ham? And he says, 9 o'clock, you got an appointment with Ken. Yesterday morning at 9 o'clock, we spent about less, almost not quite 15 minutes with Ken Ham. And I gave him, a, I, and i got to shorten this, but do you know, Ellen White has the only answer for dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, creationists have no answers, evolutionists have no answers, so many questions, so many problems. I said to Ken Hammond, the Bible says in Acts 2 and Genesis 2, the last days he's going to have prophets. I said, Ken, look at what I found. This little book written 133 years ago, and I read to him what she says. Basically, the dinosaurs were hybrids. You know, we, we, we know what GMO is. Hybrids were GMO'd. Gen they were genetically modified lizards, alligators, ostriches, chickens, and birds, and we can see that. And she has the answer. They were not in the Garden of Eden. They were not on the ark. And we have a video out there in, uh, in, in uh, row block 400 with Feed My Lambs. We've got a video. If you want a video on Ellen White and the dinosaurs, they're 10 bucks, and we've got a whole box of them Thank there. you so much for sharing. We really appreciate that, and you'll be in our prayers as you continue to share. Thank you. Thank you. Jesse, we're so happy you're here this evening. Thank you. Jesse Zwicker is here with us, and he has a project that's called Ellen for All. I like that name. In fact, it kind of gives us an idea of maybe what it's all about. And in fact, why don't you tell us just briefly, and then we'll roll some slides and talk about it. So Ellen for All, the name says it. It's Ellen White for 
all kindreds, tongues, tribes, and people. So um, the, pro the, the project is about crowd translating, kind of like crowdfunding, you know, where everybody can contribute a little bit and it starts to really build up, but crowd translating. So everybody mm -hmm. contributes to translate Ellen White's writings into their native tongue. Well, that sounds like a very innovative way to be able to get more of the spirit of prophecy translated into many languages. Well, you know, Ellen White, I believe, was one of the most innovative people in her time. And so I believe that this is part of what we're, what we're, what we're called to do, is to do stuff like that. And I think that um, to, to get into 55 languages, which is, which is our goal now in partnership with the White Estate, to do that um, is really, you know, it's a lot of languages. Mm -hmm. and, and if we do this in a traditional way, it's going to be very slow to get there. Right, yes, exactly. So why don't we look at some of the slides that you want to show us that tell us a little bit more about the project and you can explain um, to us uh, a little bit more in depth. Yeah, so on the, on the, um, on the, yeah, the slide that you can see, you can really see that the most translated language is actually Spanish and Portuguese that we have for Ellen White's writings. And you just realize that even though that represents about 100 books that they've translated, it's still only about 25% of everything that Ellen White has, tra has, has written. So really, the, 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 for me, the worst part of the whole statistic is that over 700 languages have less than 1% translated. They've got maybe one book or a few books you know, and none of the stuff that really, um, for me, was really important in like getting into the work of ASI and, and Madison and self-supporting and any of that, you know, lay involvement and total member involvement. Uh, a lot of these things are not translated, so it obviously impacts the church. And so mm -hmm. this was really my burden. My, my background is in translation. We have a translation ministry, Crosslingo. And so we were like, hey, why don't we translate this with the way we translate everything else, you know, that we translate books for other ministries and so forth. But, but we realized this will cost millions and right, millions yeah. of dollars to translate yeah. all mm -hmm. of this content into 55, let alone, you know, 700 languages. So we're like, we need a new approach. Okay. And so this is where we figured out, okay, well, let's learn from the crowd technology that's out there and we just use... Uh, a, a process, you know, to really help uh, monitor the translators that get on there to really improve the quality as they go. We get uh, some to to translate here, as you can see on the on the picture. You know, some they 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 translate it, and then we have professionals that review it, and then we have finally, you know, proofreaders from uh, approved entities, you know, like publishing houses or White Estate to approve it for them to be uploaded on the, on the Ellen White, to be, at least make it available online, you know, to the people. And so, anyway, it was really, it's really exciting to be able to, uh, to, to figure out how to use these things uh, in a much, to, to be able to move much faster, and at the same time to really uh, use the technology that's available and also um, to, to, to improve the quality, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Because you get, suddenly you get, multiple people looking over each paragraph and approving each paragraph so it really gets 
up into the okay know. so you'll have people that translate but then because the whole crowd is involved then people can review others work and it can improve the quality of the translation exactly in some languages we actually are using some artificial intelligence to to uh, do to do initial translations or okay. at least to make suggestions mm -hmm. or make auto suggestions and then translators can use those or not mm -hmm. use those depending some languages have really good artificial intelligence machine translations others are really bad you mm -hmm. know like like uh, Google translate or something like that you know but, but we don't use that but but um, so it really helps also to move the process forward okay but then we have tra you know really professionals also to to review those things most of the people really that come are you know really linguists and they're they're into translation you know not everybody does translation in their free and they time. have a burden and a passion to be able to get these messages out to their language group for sure yes wonderful can you tell us some stories of how this project has impacted people yeah we have a number of people actually in a few months we got suddenly we got a few hundred people translating on a weekly basis translating stuff into German we were we were just doing German and Swahili and so they, they were getting in there and starting to translate. They started translating uh, a few books. Um, they're still in the review process, so it's, 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 uh, it's some work. We have young people, but then we also have a lot of uh, pastors, retired pastors. One pastor, uh, he actually sent us a, vi a, vi a video you know, sharing his testimony. And he was just like, I am just so amazed about this thing I thought I was gonna do them a favor and start translating and he started translating his stuff and he's just like he's just it just opened <laughs> his mind and yes. so now he's actually yes. translating all of these things in his morning devotions okay and he's doing it like for half an hour every day uh -huh. you know translating and then writing sermons based on the text he that translates. he's translating <laughs> for the for the the, the platform mm -hmm. so that it can be you know put on the on the on the public so so it was just powerful to see how this really transforms even young people's lives and also older people's lives and retired, mm -hmm. retired pastors and so forth that want mm -hmm. to contribute. Uh, a lot of them are really excited that they can really contribute now to the work. Well, thank again. you so much for sharing, Jesse. And I want to thank each of you because we're going to watch a video that you prepared for us, Jesse. But I want to thank each of you for, for participating this evening and for being here. May God bless each of you in your ministry as you continue. I just want to say, please come on Ellen for All. That's the last slide there, ellenforall.org. And you can sign up and start translating. And we're just uh, uh, making available the possibility for even some of, some of the people that don't speak two languages uh, to go in and actually work on just the English text to look at what are, you know, to make comments on, okay, this Ellen White here actually was saying, you know, in that culture, in that time, it meant this and so forth. So to really improve the quality of the translation and obviously pray for us and, and, uh, and you know, support, sponsor, you know, so we can really move the translations forward quickly into all of these, all of these 55 languages. Thank, Thank you. you so much to each of you. I am so excited to be here on this Thursday night for the Members in Action, my favorite, favorite night of ASI. And tonight we have with us some exciting people, some exciting stories. Uh, we'll start with you. We have uh, Mike Wells with us from Print Bibles for Cuba. And Mike, tell us, what is Print Bibles for Cuba? 
Print Bibles for Cuba is a project. It's not a ministry and it's not a business, but it's a project that started May, the beginning of May last year. So what's that, 18 months or whatever? That's right. So the purpose of Print Bibles for Cuba is to upgrade the existing publishing house, increase their productivity so that they can produce Bibles and books and tracts like Leaves of Autumn. Wow, that's awesome. And who's involved and how did you get involved, Mike? There are two of us that uh, are co-founders. Uh, you'll see Russ's picture up here later. But um, I got involved, or I, I, the backstory for me is that years ago, I saw four pieces of junk printing equipment at a government auction. Wow. And we were down on our last dollar, but be, being a printer, I thought this had some hope. So without telling my wife, I went and bought that equipment. Without Not telling your wife. <laughs> but I started seeing how God was working because out of those four pieces of junk, after repairing them and selling them and trading and repairing them, after a while I had a print shop with no money, to speak of anyway, invested in the print shop. Wow. And this idea hit me that if we could set up a simple print shop that cheap, why wouldn't it be possible to have print shops and publishing houses in many of these small remote places in the world? Right. Well, as time went on, I was at an ASI convention in Dallas. Don't really even remember how many years ago it was, but Garwin McNeilius was telling about the situation in Cuba with their printing presses. And you may have heard they were using used motor oil and letterpress, and my heart just cried. Being a press mechanic, I couldn't stand it. But I couldn't do anything about it, so it laid dormant for many years. And so that, that was actually the backstory of how things got started, and then it, they just continued from there. But that was when I really felt the Lord's call to do something. Wow, that's incredible. And I understand you took a recent trip to Cuba to investigate. Tell us about it. Probably I'd in introduce Russ first. Russ is the other partner in this, co-founder, and as a youth, now he, this is before I even got the call, but as a youth, he was growing up in southern um, uh, Korea, there we go, thank All you, right. southern Korea, and observing the effect of communism on the church, both in uh, North Korea and in Cuba and in uh, China. And he determined in his heart at that time that he needed to do something, be a part of spreading the gospel in communist countries, and that being uh, publishing. That's awesome. So then you and Russ collaborated together and established... Yes. Russ and I actually worked together for several years at Christian Record Services, so we already knew each other. About three years ago, I started hearing the word Cuba, 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 ringing in my head, and I tried uh -huh. everything I could to find out who the contacts were. I even emailed Jamie George and he sent me a picture of an old letterpress. It just, so I decided we had to go over and investigate, so I asked Russ if he'd go over with me and help size it up. And what did you find out when you went over to investigate? We found out that their production department was really in great need. It, it, it wasn't because the people were bad, it was the equipment was wrong for what they were doing. They were printing Sabbath school quarterlies on an eight and a half by 11 sheet collating them all together and then folding them. And that, so we knew we had to do something, so we made a two-part proposal to them. Part one of the proposal was that we increase their productivity so that they could eventually print Bibles. Stage two is where 
we would help them actually print the Bibles and train them to that point. So the progress report right now is that phase one actually is very close to completion. We have the equipment in my print shop in Auburn, Nebraska, being wow. cleaned up and repaired. One piece is in Florida, that's the book binder. Um, but otherwise, we've got everything for that. Phase two is where we're still asking the Lord how he is going to lead us. Because phase two requires a press much bigger than any of us have. And by the way, the Lord provided that press 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I had a huge book printing press dropped in my lap, as it were. And it's in storage now, has been for about 10 years. Wow. And I know the Lord was encouraging me to move on it, but it's been sitting. And I cried out to the Lord, Lord, what do you want to do with this press? And I believe that here at this ASI, we are going to find the answer to that question. Amen. Well, you know, I believe we're going to find the answer too. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I want to ask you as we kind of close this time together, is what can ASI do to help? What I'm asking of ASI is that anybody who has a burden for publishing and maybe hasn't realized their dream yet because you don't have equipment or don't know how to start, we are going to be having a meeting tomorrow between 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock where we'd just like to brainstorm a multitude of counselors as it is and see where we go from here because I believe that this might be how the Lord answers that question. By the way, I forgot to tell you that web press, that book press can print a million Bible pages an hour. A million? A million Bible pages wow. an hour. And that would equate to about a thousand Bibles an hour. Now, naturally, you still have to do Ooh. the collating and everything, but it's a very productive press that was going to scrap iron. And I salvaged it basically from scrap iron. So if you're out there and you have an interest in publishing and you want to see how this model of publishing works that I'm proposing, we'd really like to just brainstorm together. Two ways to get a hold of us is uh, we're kind of hanging out at the He Returns booth. That's, um, I don't remember what booth, but He Returns. or uh, uh, <laughs> It's World, on the screen. Okay, World Youth Group. There you go. Uh-huh. World Youth Group. Uh, will be, they will also be able to give you information, or you could um, email or just call. And uh, we'd like to see, we'd like to get your input tomorrow on this. Thank you so much, Mike. May the Lord continue to richly bless your ministry. Thank you, and it's been such an honor to share this at ASI. Amen. Amen. And now we have Craig, who is from uh, Riverside Farms. And Craig, what's new at Riverside Farms? We're fans of Riverside Farms here at ASI. What's new? Tell us. Okay. So most of you know we grow bananas, have a school, have a wellness center. But today I want to share a little bit about what it is that drives us to be there. Um, an author recently said, none of us deserve to hear the gospel for a second time, while some of us have never heard it for the first time. And that's something that, you know, resonates with me. And serving in a country with a million people, the question is begged, what are you doing for the people who've never heard? And so I began to think, what could we do? And so we have an evangelism school there, and I talked with our evangelism teacher, and I said about a year and a half ago, why don't we try something different? Why don't we take our students, and instead of taking them to the local church where they can lean on a pastor or an elder or a deacon, let's take them to a village that's unreached. And there was some nervousness um, among students and faculty, but we went ahead and did it. Um, we went to a place where there's never been a Protestant effort, let alone an Adventist effort in 100 years. 
and we saw the Lord bless. More than 70 souls were, were baptized. Wow. A one-day church was built. Amen. A student was brought back and trained in evangelism and is now fostering that church there. And so we continue to do that. And so we've done that now in five locations. There's now five churches that have been planted by students um, around Zambia in villages where there's been nothing. And it's amazing because students who go to that place, they can't lean on anyone. So when they come back, they don't have a question, can God use me to win souls for the Lord Jesus? They know. And for the rest of their life, they don't have to have the wonder, the question, can God do it for me because they've seen it. Wow. How old are these students, Craig? Ah, students from anywhere from about 18 wow. and up wow. going out and That's doing that. That's amazing. You know, uh, you recently had an experience kind of in the jungle there in Zambia. Tell us about it. Sure. So the latest crusade we did in southern part of Zambia, um, our students went out, began to work, and they noticed when they first got to this village that, you know, they put up posters, and usually in the village, you know, kids come along, have all kinds of things to do with posters, but none of the posters were gone. And so in Zambia, you have a couple of different forms of leadership. You have a chief who is a bit like a king, you know, it comes along a bloodline. But you have village headmen, and they're there in leadership in a village because they have leadership skills. Wow. And so this man was a leader in that village, and they began to get to know him. And the, the thing that, that it was interesting is they found out that he had had 17 wives. Wow. And is that even possible? Beyond that, um, he was feared even by chiefs in the region because... Um, when he worked in the villages that he was the headman over, uh -huh. if someone was misbehaving and it was severe, um, he would go home, he would write a note, he would hold it up, and a bird would come down, take the note out of his hand, go and fly to that person's house, and when the bird arrived, that person would die. And Wow. Yeah, he was, he was <laughs> feared because he was not only had 17 wives, he ran the villages tightly, but he was dangerous. Um, another time, arguing with the, one of the local headmen who was disagreeing with him over where their boundaries fell. And he says, look, we'll see about where this boundary lies. And that night, lightning cut right through the, the place where he was, he was there. And we think, you know, we're wow. in the West. We don't believe in some of this stuff. Let me tell you, in Africa, these things are real. Yes, these things are and real. So it seemed like a very unlikely place for the gospel to have an easy place to go. Right. But as time went on, the man began to have dreams that were a lot like the stories in Daniel. And when we arrived, he had gotten himself down to one wife from 17. Amen. And when he heard this message, he responded. And so today, there's a church in that village. 60 people were baptized into the church. And the headman said, I don't care who is here in my area. They're going to come and they're going to help put up the walls and finish that one-day church in the area. And so we're looking forward to training a Bible worker and sending them back. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful testimony to the transforming power of God. So tell me, how can we get involved? What can we do to help? Sure, there's a couple ways. You can go to outpostcenters.org and look for Riverside Farm. And you'll see a number of ways you can get involved. Uh, one of the things that's very impactful there in Zambia is the One Day Church Project. So if you're here and you're supporting the One Day Church Project, it's a huge and, uh, benefit there in, there in Zambia. You can also go to riversidefarm.org and learn more about what we do. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you.
So I'm so excited to be able to have Farm Stew with us today. And uh, I, I really experienced Farm Stew when I was in Kenya. My wife and I were General Conference missionaries in Kenya, and Joy Kaufman, your fearless leader, came, and she uh, taught us how to make soya milk from scratch. And that was really a fun experience. And so I'm just so excited to have Susan and Edwin with us tonight. And Susan, tell us, uh, where is Farm Stew having the most uh, important impact for success? Thank you very much. As you can see from the video, that Farm Stew is having a big impact with the poor and vulnerable people in Africa. And we are currently in three countries. We're in South Sudan, and we're partnering with Zimbabwe, and we're in Uganda. And the reason that we're in those areas is because that is where the hungry are. Um, one in three children are severely malnourished. And wow. a shocking statistic that five children under the age of five die every minute. If you just think about that wow. for a second, that's amazing. Uh, but the reason Farm Stew is successful is because we partner with the local Seventh-day Adventist churches there, uh -huh. which um, is wonderful because it helps to um, train and help our own brothers and sisters in Christ. And it also it gives us a door into the local community. And so we train skilled African trainers in our farm stew ingredients, which are biblically based. And um, they go out into churches, the local community. They go to mosques. We're in prisons. We're in orphanages, schools, universities. And since we began three and a half years ago, we have conducted um, approximately 3,000 hands-on participatory classes impacting 56,000 lives. 3,000? Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. That yes. is incredible. Yes. Praise the what, Lord. What does Farm Stew stand for again? Farm Stew, and we'll see it on the board, on the screen here in just a minute, but Farm Stew is an acronym, and you can see the eight ingredients there. Farming, attitude, rest, meal, sanitation, temperance, enterprise, and water. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And we heard that Farm Stew has something new that you'd like to share. Share it with yes, us. Yes. Actually, we're very, very excited. We are rolling out um, here at ASI what's called our Farm Stew Basic, and it's an educational program. You can find it on our website at www.farmstew.org, and it's free, and it's a course that you can take. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. That is awesome. And as you share these Farm Stew principles, how are you able to share Jesus? Well, you know, it's a real blessing to us to be able to share the love of God and that God wants each of us to have an abundant life, everyone Amen. to have an abundant life. And so our curriculum team has worked really hard, actually with ASI leadership, to make sure that our curriculum works hand-in-hand -hand with the ASI picture roles. And so we're hoping to use those in South Sudan. We're very grateful to ASI for all of their support. You know, I've actually used one of those ASI picture roles with the Maasai people in <laughs> Kenya. They're pretty awesome, so I'm grateful for that. And so, Edwin, um, you have much experience in Africa, and what caused you to get involved in Farm Stew? You know, many of our, our church members in Africa are caught in poverty, and these are our brothers and sisters. That's right. And, um, you know, I've, I've attended church with people who were living in cardboard and stick shacks because wow. of war. Wow. And uh, recently I was attending church with a, a lady, who, a widow, who was trying to support her two daughters um, working as an agriculture day laborer. It's very tough. Yeah. And we have information, skills, low-cost technologies that can make a tremendous difference to these people. And I've had a dream of being able to 
share with our members things like this, and Farm Stew is doing that, and I'm, I'm just really excited about it. That is fantastic. And what do you think has been the greatest impact of Farm Stew in actually transforming the lives of people? You know, we're, we're giving people improved seeds. Uh, we're introducing nutrient-dense varieties. We're, we're introducing simple techniques that can help to boost production so that um, whole communities and villages benefit. People who never grew vegetables before are growing them. People who'd never grown soybeans before are growing them and using them in their home, making soy milk and tofu. And, um, you know, they're, they're just doing really well. And starving children are thriving. And that soy milk is really good, I have to say. It is. <laughs> um, can you give an example of how Farm Stew has actually benefit, benefited our brothers and sisters in the churches over there? Yes, just recently one of our teams was working in the village of Nambale, Uganda. And they were working with the local church and they were introduced to, to one of our church members and her daughter, um, little Saoba. Um, Saoba was a year and a half old and she weighed less than nine pounds. Wow. And the, the thing was is that the mother and the community thought that this was because she had eaten a lot of lemons when she was pregnant. Wow. So you can see we're dealing with a lot of ignorance yeah. and misinformation, misinformation. Yeah. and simple things. Yeah. And we have solutions for that. And so the Farm Stew team introduced, you know, took, took her to the, the local health center, and then they helped her to um, start breastfeeding in a, in a better way that was more, more effective. And they, they started giving her uh, a locally available porridge made out of grains and legumes. Mm. And in one week, she gained 2.2 pounds. Wow. And the next week, she got malaria which is not unusual, uh -huh. but she did not lose any weight. And that was amazing. So the, the community and our church members there are, are seeing that children can be saved through the principles that we're sharing with them. Awesome. Susan, in, in 10 seconds, what parting words do you want to leave with us? Well, first of all, we'd just like to say thank you so much again to ASI for their support. We'd like to invite everyone to come by our booth. It's number 106. And if you would like to sign up uh, for our newsletter, we would love to be able to share more information with you about this incredible program that's changing lives every day. And more stories. And more stories. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Good evening, ASI family. It's good to see everyone. We have some wonderful guests with us tonight. I'll begin over here. We have Christina and Daniel McFeeter from Christina's Kitchen. And we have Dr. John Kelly and Patty LaVenture, who everyone knows, from Oak Haven. And then we have a testimony by Richard Alva. So we're going to start tonight with Christina and Daniel. And Christina and Daniel have a kitchen. It's called Christina's Kitchen. Can you tell us what made you start Christina's Kitchen, which is a center of influence? 
I've always had an interest in mission work in the United States. And uh, when I met Daniel, and uh, he lived in Kentucky, which I didn't, but uh, he started telling me about this uh, group of people called Appalachia. And I had never heard of it. Of course, after I moved there, I discovered it was Appalachia. But uh, it piqued my interest, and I really just felt a burden to do something to reach the people of Appalachia in the United States. All right. Now, that sounds to me like a lot of work. How much preparation did that take? We spent five years doing preparation work, uh, doing cooking classes, just reaching out to the community, uh, just um, anything that I could do and help, and especially focusing on anything with friendship evangelism, so making friends with the people, being a part of the community. And with our cooking classes, we did monthly cooking classes, and they're still going on uh, after 10 years in two locations. All right. Every month. So it sounds like a lot of preparation went into this. And tell us, what exactly is Christina's Kitchen? Well, Christina's Kitchen's been open for five years. Uh, It is a bakery, vegetarian restaurant, health food store. Uh, We also have a delivery route once a week in a town about 30 miles away. And we also offer an apprenticeship training program for students who want to experience restaurant ministry and health ministry on front lines. All right. Now, I believe that there are some pictures. Pictures number one, two, and three. If you can just show some of those pictures of Christina's kitchen, that'll give everybody an idea what this looks like. So if you could show those. In the meantime, Christina's kitchen, I know, is involved in the community. And, and how is it involved in the community? What kinds of things are you doing? Okay, so... We always wanted to just become a part of the community. That's been our goal. We really wanted to be an outpost ministry and a center of influence in the community. And so we've basically opened the restaurant to the community uh, for nonprofit organizations to use our restaurant for meetings. Uh, The farmer's market meets at the restaurant. Of course, we have the cooking classes. Uh, Homemakers clubs use our restaurant. And so uh, also involvement with the Chamber of Commerce uh, and uh, representing restaurants on the tourism board, just really just trying to become a part of the community in every aspect uh, because we love our community and we want to be a part of them. Yeah, that's really an important piece. I think that all that stuff sounds like so much work, but really great work. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, There must be some stories from Christina's Kitchen examples of things that have happened as a result of that specifically. Why don't you give us about one example of that? Okay. I don't think we've seen any pictures yet, have we? I don't think the pictures, if the pictures could come up, that would be great. <laughs> Just people get an idea. Uh, well, one thing I did want to share before I tell a few stories is uh, a little bit on my husband. I wanted to give him a second to introduce himself because I've kind of talked about me. So I am Daniel McFeeters, of course, and uh, everyone knows me as Christina's husband, uh, <laughs> which is all right, you know. That is all but, right. But uh, no, um, I serve currently as a pastor of a small church district in uh, southeast Kentucky, uh, where we live. Uh, but actually, that was only of recent development. Um, I, my background is in computers. Uh, I'm a computer professional by training. And... Um, Christina and I started this, this venture into health as a lay ministry together. 
and um, it's interesting how the Lord leads. So yes. he's, my, he's my partner. But I wanted to tell you a couple of stories. There's a picture. I'm very thankful there's one there. Uh, just, I could go on and on. Um, customers that have just really been, become part of our family, uh, coming on a regular basis, being able to sit down, eat lunch with them while they're eating at a restaurant, being able to have Bible studies with them while they're eating lunch, uh, just uh, praying with them. Uh, we had uh, our local UPS guy uh, that we were able to actually save him from losing his job because his health was so poor. And just through eating lunch at a restaurant every day, he's been able to keep his job for an extra two years. Yes, okay. Uh, which is really exciting. Yes. And he's, of course, you know, he's the UPS guy. So he tells everybody in town, you yes. know, Christina's Kitchen is the reason why I still have a job and That's you should go eat there because the food really does taste good. That's great. Um, and my favorite thing of all is that God has really blessed us. Um, just this last uh, December, our first restaurant customer joined our church. Wow. And her That's name is great. Victoria. And if you want to meet her, she will be here on Sabbath helping us with our booth. So come okay. to Christina's Kitchen booth and you'll get and to meet her. And the booth number person. is? 231. 231. 231. Uh, uh, one of them, her customer, first customer joined the church. She'll be here on Sabbath. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Thank you very much. Our next um, guest are John Kelly, he's a physician, and Patty LaVanture. Patty, why don't you begin first? Tell us, this is from Oak Haven, just tell us briefly what you do or did at Oak Haven. Okay, well for years I worked as health education director and now currently I'm working as lifestyle coordinator under Dr. John Kelly. Okay, and, and I was a little um, intrigued by a physician joining Oak Haven. John, tell us who you are and what you do. <laughs> yes, thank you, Lindy. Uh, I'm Dr. John Kelly. Uh, I'm president uh, at Oak Haven Country Life Natural Foods. Uh, and of course, the Mark and Patty LeVanture have been the face of Country Life Natural Foods for as long as I've known, anyway. And uh, so, but uh, what we want to talk to, to you tonight about is not the Country Life Natural Foods, but something new that God yes. is, is doing yes. on Tell campus. Tell us about that new thing. So, uh, in, in about a year ago, July of 2018, the Association of American Medical College News put out an article about five emerging, fast-growing medical specialties and describing what training and knowledge you needed to pursue those. Yes. Number three on the list was lifestyle medicine. Yes. yes. And so, of course, uh, they quoted uh, some experts and they talked about the fact that 80% of disease uh, in the first world is chronic disease. Yes. And about 80% of that, uh, the care for chronic disease involves lifestyle habits, poor yes. lifestyles. And I, I know you know you were talking about food yes. as medicine. Absolutely. And I enjoyed yes. your, uh, your talk. So, Anyway, they went on uh, to describe the need for lifestyle n knowledge, lifestyle medicine in uh, primary care and in specialties. Well, now, Seventh-day Adventists, this is no surprise because we've known about the cause and effect relationship between lifestyle and health and disease for a century or more. In fact, in medical ministry, 
page 27, paragraph 2, some of you will know, of, uh, recognize this, but we're actually, the, the purpose for sanitariums being established was revealed, and it was to reform the medical practices of physicians. Yes. So a number of years ago, that really took hold of my heart as I was talking to God about what was the purpose, my empty nest, what was I supposed to do after that, and I really decided this was the thing. So I, I've been working in lifestyle medicine, many of you know that, for, for many years. Um, in, 19, in 2004, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine was established. And you were? I, I was the founding president. Founding president yes. of the American College of yes. Lifestyle Medicine. Yes. As a matter of fact, you got an award. That is true. Yes. Somebody's okay. been talking to you. But anyway, yes, so the American Medical Association actually gave me an award for that work. Uh, in, in 20, 2017, the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine was established, and so now physicians can become board certified in lifestyle medicine. They have to take the proper training and courses and pass the exam. Uh, but now, two years later, there's over almost a thousand physicians around the world that are, are board certified in lifestyle medicine, and it's, it's growing fast. Yes. The American College of Lifestyle Medicine has double membership five years running. Yes. How, this yes. is really growing. Yes. So, what happened was, uh, what drew me to Oak Haven was the opportunity to establish a training uh, program for physicians and, and nurses. That's so you have a residential program designed for training. Yes. And so uh, we've I've been training uh, in doing physicians previously, but what we're doing now is a program designed for that. Yes. And uh, we want we had a little clip we could show about this 10-day immersion. Just yes. a one minute. Uh, we use a 10-day immersion because that way we can refer them to Daniel is where we come up with that. You know, every chance you get, put hooks in what you do so you have a chance to yes. bring in the Bible. Yes. But whenever we get, uh, we'll show you that clip. Uh, I'm going to talk about a, a physician that came for training. Okay. And then Patty's going to talk about uh, the opportunity we have working with the for Michigan pastors. Conference. Yes. With okay. pastors. Yes. The Michigan Conference. So, so in the interest of time. Yes. I just want to say that this is a perfect organization because you're training physicians and pastors. Correct. Okay, so tell me about the physicians and Patty will tell me about the pastors. Okay, so the physicians come for a 10-day clinical training. They uh, complete a course, uh, the uh, board review course for lifestyle medicine, which uh, when they asked me to write questions, I said, wait a minute, I'd rather write the review course. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm actually co-author of the board review course in lifestyle medicine. So that gave me a certain attraction for training. Yes. And so physicians literally, I mean, just we just all the time, we're getting inquiries from physicians all over the world, uh, mostly in the U.S., but all over. And uh, they will come for uh, 10 days. Before they come, they will take a 30 CME course online and with a, uh, a manual, a uh, textbook. And then they go through the clinical training as an observer, but also as a patient. So they actually see what happens to their own lifestyle changes and the risk factors. And I wanted to tell about one, I, I'm gonna call her Jane Doe, for uh, keep her uh, confidential, her name. But uh, she was a Muslim. I, I had only trained two Muslims before. This was a great experience. She loved our spirituality and our commitment to prayer. We, she was impressed with that. Long story short, she came, she was on a low carb diet, trying to lose weight without much success. She's, I said, well, you can continue, but why don't you try this for the 10 days? So she agreed to do a plant-based. 
she had so much results and improvement, she went home. Her husband went on the program for four days only, he told her. After four days, he bought in, and so he's lost 20-some pounds. They're both tickled. She went home uh, to uh, Saudi Arabia for Ramadan, said it was wonderful. She, had no, she, she actually got friends and family to join her during that. Yes. So we found that she was a real typical example of someone taking a training that wanted to know how to use lifestyle okay. to treat disease. All right. Patty, time is out. However, tell me just in 15 seconds about the pastors. Okay. August 11, we're starting an inaugural program for pastors uh, in collaboration with the Michigan Conference. And the pastors will come with their wives, with their children, and we'll be having classes for the children as well. So they'll be learning health principles. And the pastors will take these principles back to their um, pastoral districts and we'll actually be running rallies after the lifestyle program. So lots of good things going on. Time goes so quickly. But Oak Haven is really expanding to include training of both physicians and pastors together. And we've been told that we need to do that. Amen. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Now our last one is Richard. And uh, we have six minutes on the clock, Richard. And I'm going to watch the clock. His testimony is very interesting. Richard, what do you do? Good evening, ASI. I'm a health educator, but I just okay. wanted Patty to be able to tell everyone what booth number oh, yes. Oak Haven is at. 752. 752, okay. Wonderful. So you're a health educator. Now, I, Patrick, I mean, excuse me, Richard's story is interesting. Richard, very quickly, so, tell us about your start in health education. So, uh, in a nutshell, uh, my life puts on display the mercy of God and how incredibly much God loves each and every one of us. I started uh, life as a health educator at the age of four years old. Um, I was living with my dad in the middle of nowhere in the Mexican desert, and he was completing his medical training there. Um, doing a year of social service. So he was the town doctor, and I was with him, assisting him. And so I would stand in the waiting room in the clinic during our clinic hours, and I would dispense information to anyone who would listen about hygiene and uh, proper hydration and all sorts of stuff. So, so, so this is interesting, right? He is four years old, and he's giving health education lectures to his father's patients. That's right. That's an awesome four-year-old. That's right. All right. So then tell me, what did that, what did that experience conjure so, up in you? That experience for me was incredibly formative. It burned into my mind the definition of what a physician is. And so as I looked around me as a young boy, I would see my father taking care of people, um, loving them, being their friend being kind to them, and it was in that context that all clinical work took place. Okay. And you decided initially to go to medical school. I did. It was my lifelong dream to become a physician, and that was my definition of what a physician was. Okay. So you got to medical school, and something happened the very first day of medical school. What's interesting, the first day of medical school at um, Montemorelos University in Mexico, they take all of us students and they had us write on very tiny pieces of paper. We had to write on there why we wanted to become physicians. 
And so we wrote on there, and then we put them inside these little capsules. And those capsules went into some kind of vault for posterity, right? So we could, you know, open up and see in the future if why we wanted to become physicians had aligned somehow with reality. Okay, now you told me as we talked that two organizations really impacted what you wrote on your little capsule. And right. that one of them was ASI. One of them was ASI, and the other one was GYC, so Generation of Youth for Christ. Yes. And so uh, they were instrumental. All of your ministries, um, just amazing for me to get an idea of why we're here, what we're doing, sharing Christ in the marketplace as a lifestyle became really um, a part of me. And so I wrote on that piece of paper, I want to become a physician to bring others to Jesus. Yes, okay. You get to medical school. By the third year of medical school, the curriculum there is different than in the States. And in the third year of medical school, something happened. So in the, in the third year of medical school there, I'm still in my basic sciences learning a lot, loving every minute of it, and I spend most of the first part of my day in class. And then after I get out of class, I might have lunch and then a lab, and then I would go and work at the Lifestyle Center that was affiliated with the hospital that was affiliated with the university. So in the morning, I would learn all about the, the why, but then in the afternoon, I would get to see the how. Yes. And it struck me instantly that the way the work was done downstairs in the hospital and the way the work was conducted upstairs in the Lifestyle Center were starkly different. That was an eye-opener for me. Yes. And not just, that wasn't the only contrast. Another contrast was the amount of time patients spent either in the hospital or the Lifestyle Center and the outcomes they had. <laughs> so it soon became apparent to me that those at the Lifestyle Center spent less time and had much better results. Okay, and with that information, you made a decision to quit medical school and go into health education instead. How many of you have ever experienced a deep personal crisis? <laughs> so, my definition of what I had aspired to my entire life was now being challenged by reality. And so I felt called to start working now. Yes. I knew that eventually, if I stuck with it, I could become a lifestyle medicine physician. Yes. We weren't, we didn't have the certification at that time, but um, I felt deeply moved and impressed to start working now. And so I came back to the U.S., came back to the States, and I started working everywhere yes. I could yes. and anywhere I could. Yes, that's great. Well, that's a powerful testimony. There's more to it, but our time is finished. I want to thank you all for participating. We're all blessed by your testimonies tonight. Thank you, ASI. Good evening, ASI. And now we have another Offering in Action segment. And with me is Carlos Munoz. He is the director for uh, AFCO, Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. Amen. All right, so there are a lot of exciting things that are happening um, at Amazing Facts. 
And as the director of evangelism, you must be very excited about one in particular. But tell us a little bit about Amazing Facts College of Evangelism, some of the things that are going on there, and then the new piece that's happening. Amen. So, uh, Maranatha, good evening, everyone. And so, uh, as most of you know, Amazing Facts is focused on uh, sharing the everlasting gospel through all the uh, resources possible, media, TV, uh, mail. But uh, one of the pillars of the ministry also is to uh, train our, our, our laymen and our, our church members in evangelism. And so a big focus of, uh, of, our, of our mission is uh, evangelism training. And so AFCO is the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. And it's where uh, people can come, uh, church members from all parts, and they come and they, uh, they learn the strategies, the methods, the, the key essentials to learning how to be an amazing disciple. And so uh, to, last year we started our online course because sometimes people can't come in. Uh, they can't come to our course, our on-site course. And so we decided then to, to push an online course. And we started with our uh, taking the courses from our... Uh, Amazing from our AFCO into uh, starting to upload them into uh, this wonderful online course that we started called Amazing Disciples last year. So how's that working? They go online and they enroll like they would normally if they came. What, how does it work? Yeah, it's 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 like an it's like an online course, and so it's basically divided up like if it was a Sabbath school. It's 13 lesson week. Every day you have your lesson, and then you have your Q and A. You have quizzes. And then you have other, you have uh, downloads that they, for more resources. They can also come in and they have, we, we'll do live Q&As with Pastor Doug, with uh, Pastor John. We'll do uh, just, uh, uh, we have also a Facebook group, so there'll be interactions. And so the idea is that they can come in there, they can be immersed. And so what we've developed is we started with our first class, which is Amazing Disciples. And two months ago, we started with our second class, which is uh, Amazing Doctrines. So we're taking the, the on-site course and we're building it little by little so that anybody from any part of the world can, can come in and they can be part of the, the course with us. And so as recipients of this year's offering, ASI is supporting that continued development for the online courses? Amen, amen. Oh, excellent, excellent. Now, um, do you have some stories or testimonies? I mean, what has been the response to people enrolling and using these courses? Oh, yeah, we have a, a number of testimonies. I'll give you two short ones. Okay. Uh, we have the story of Lewis, who Lewis went through the Amazing Disciples course, and then he went into his church. Uh, his church was kind of uh, dying out. He started to implement some of, the, some of the strategies and methods that he learned, the evangelism cycle and some other things, and... And off the bat, they had four baptisms after they started doing Bible studies. And now they're seeing how the evangelism cycle is starting to move. The attitude is starting to change in the church group. Uh, another really interesting story is uh, from Michael. Michael also, he, he had a severe injury and he had to then, uh, he, wanted to do, he wanted to come to our on-site course. But he wasn't able to because of the injury and some resources. So he did the online course. And what happened and ended up doing is that he kind of broke out of his shell. He started to share the impl implement some of these uh, strategies with his family. He started giving Bible studies to his grandma and his grandfather, and we just heard uh, that he just his grandfather and grandma they just got baptized into the Seventh Day Adventist oh, Church. Amen. So these are just some examples of. So it it helps. It really equips people and gives them, I guess, courage and the know-how to go out and know exactly what they need to do. So they don't have to be a pastor or necessarily leaders in the no, church. No, no, no. It's okay. the, it's it's. The calling to be to make disciples is for all of us, yes. and so we want to give every every layman, every person that's 
that, that's come into the church, mm -hmm. we want them to become amazing disciples. And so okay. through the disciples, through the doctrines, we're actually be, uh, preparing our new next course for spring, which is going to be Amazing Sanctuary. So it's a whole oh, course on the sanctuary. And so we want to help them not only to know the strategies, but also to have the information, mm -hmm. how to confront, how to, uh, you know, when people come up with questions, how to read objections, how to understand our teachings better. So it's a, the, the idea is so that they can the empower themselves and go out and become amazing disciples and help others to become amazing disciples. So, Carlos, you think everybody here could actually enroll in the course online? Oh, everybody that has uh, internet access okay. <laughs> can enroll on the course, oh, exactly. Excellent. So we have, for example, we have uh, students from six of the seven continents on the earth all countries, uh, and uh, we have over, almost a thousand students enrolled in our course from last year, and it just continues. I mean, every day I get emails of people that are enrolling and people that are wanting to get involved, and also, uh, you know, it's good to know, next year we're planning on bringing our on-site course back on, okay. on, on campus again when we, through our new uh, building projects, and so, so a lot of fun and exciting okay. things. So I'm curious, how did you become involved in Amazing Facts? I became involved, uh, 10 years ago I became baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, five years later I decided to go to AFCO. Okay. Uh, in 2003 I graduated AFCO and then uh, I got the call to become an evangelist for the ministry. And then this year I'm fresh out of the oven. I'm the new <laughs> AFCO director excellent, for the ministry. Excellent. So, Well Carlos, we are praying that God will shower his blessings on us so that we can support this online course that we want to take advantage of. Thank you very much. Amen and thank Amen. everybody for their help. Amen. Thank you. God bless. So now the next person coming out to join me is no stranger to us. Danny Shelton is the founder and president of 3ABN. And uh, ASI is blessed to have partnered with 3ABN to help to share uh, everything that God is doing through all of his people and all of his ministries. And we work together closely to do that. And so we are thrilled that 3ABN is not only a project recipient, but also um, a recipient of any overflow that God will bless us with this weekend. So Danny, tell us what's going on with 3ABN. There's new stuff happening all the time. All the time. And I say praise the Lord. This is uh, 34 years of going to ASI and being a part of it. Last year, I was this time I was in bed with uh, open heart surgery, but God was blessed. I'm still on my feet going forward. But so many things are happening. It's amazing that 3ABN has been reaching satellites around the world. We're on you know, all the cable stations and dish network. But what's really been growing is the social media, as many of you know. But I was amazed at a figure that Moses Primo, our director of broadcasting, just gave us for last month, I think the month of June actually, that Roku, anybody here watch 3ABN on Roku? Okay, quite a few hands. I want you to listen to this figure. The month of June, there were 3.8 mil, 3 million hours viewed on 3AB, of 3ABN's eight channels on just Roku alone. Almost four million hours were watched in one month. I had no idea. The reason I wanted to find out is our streaming costs, Debbie, began to go up and up and up and, and more from a few thousand to many thousands like this is more than we pay for some of the satellites. But that tells you that God is alive, he's on the throne. But our commitment has been the three angels' messages last year, last fall, our camp meeting, the three angels' messages, if they were ever needed, it's now. The world needs to hear about them. This past camp meeting was the Ten Commandments. 
if they're ever needed, it's now. All you have to do is look around you, turn on the news, listen to all the politicians in the world, and you're going to find out things are in a mess. There's only one answer for this world's problems, and we as Seventh-day Adventists have the privilege and the responsibility of taking an undiluted Three Angels message as one that would counteract the counterfeit into all the world. So what I have seen, Debbie, as long as we continue to focus on the message, now the enemy's out there, he's going to try to do all that he can, but you know God is bigger than the enemy. So we're going forward. What are we trying to do? Reach the people with the message. And what about our young people? We, in the last month, in June, in a week's time, we produced over 100 new children's programs, more than we've done in years, because we have to center in, give our children, they're all on iPhones, they're all on iPads, they're all on this social media. Who needs to be there? We do as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, so that kids around the world, not only from our own church, but those we're wanting to join our church, can watch the three, and literally get Three Angels messages where kids can understand it. So a lot of things are happening, but I want to thank ASI for what you have done. And Debbie, personally, we've worked together with you and Ray years ago. And for all the people we've had the privilege of working with and partnering with, but ASI has been where 3ABN literally was catapulted in 1985, Big Sky, Montana. So I thank you and everyone at ASI for your support of 3ABN as we continue to take the undiluted Three Angels messages to the world. Well, you know, Danny, we want to thank you and 3ABN, thank 3ABN, because if it wasn't for 3ABN, there are many ministries that have um, been highlighted, uh, featured on 3ABN, so that the people around the world can see what's going on. And tonight, we just wanted to give a, a little glimpse of some of the ministries that 3ABN has featured. So we have these individuals coming out. Now, many of you recognize some of their faces, don't you? You recognize uh, Lemuel Vega with uh, Christmas Behind Bars, and then Alistair Wong with uh, Audioverse, uh, Keith Mosier with Congo Frontline Missions, Jim Ayers through many different ministries, uh, Dan Houghton, Bill Na so, I mean, naps, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But we have been blessed to hear so much from so many ministries to learn what they're doing, to know how to support them, because 3ABN has given us entree to that information and allowed us to be supportive of their ministries. When, when I felt impressed by the Lord in 1984 to build a television station to reach the world, I knew it wasn't for me. I didn't name it Danny Shelton, whatever because the Lord, I wanted the Lord to allow me to be a, a, a vessel of honor, an instrument. And so I knew all along, this is not for me, but this is to assist the church in getting the message to the world. And then, as you say, ministry after ministry that people hadn't heard, they would say, can we come on 3ABN? We allow them to share that. But that's what God called us to do. Right. And this way, working with the church, with, with supporting ministry to the church, ASI, we've seen what is happening, and if we ever need to be together in one accord, it's right now. Jesus is coming soon, and I don't know if you know that, and I hope you're all aware of that, but we need to be praying every day, Lord, what would you have us to do? Each and every one of us are here for a reason, and that reason is to be a witness and to tell the world about Jesus. But as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, though God has people in all churches, and I'm thankful for that, we have that tremendous responsibility, but as I said a while ago, the greatest privilege on earth to give present truth 
to a lost and dying world. And I count it a privilege, and I thank ASI for all the support they have given 3ABN and all of you because while we have supported them, they all have supported us because without the programmers, there would be no 3ABN. So thank all of you and, and the rest of you who've been on 3ABN and given such a great message to a lost and dying world. Well, Danny, thank you so much. And we just want to pray and ask God to shower us with blessings of the offering so that we can continue the work that God has set before us and to collaborate, you know, create synergy and energy and, and just a lot of enthusiasm so we can get this world this done. We want to go home, don't we? So then let's ask like, act like it and give till it hurts so that we can go home. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.